When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. There's been reason to think that this country is moving backward, that freedom is being reduced. A little while ago, I spoke with President Biden, who pledged all support the White House can provide. The bipartisan gun bill addresses many of the aspects of these mass shooters. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. This is uh, truly an historic moment for NATO. We're discussing this and working to align uh, these haphazard tariffs and our priorities. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden prepares to cut Trump tariffs on China. But who will it help? Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we open a shortened trading week with some big decisions looming at the White House. And we'll discuss them in a moment with Cleet Willems, one of President Trump's economic advisors when the tariffs were first put in place. Is Russia winning the war in Ukraine? We'll ask retired Air Force General David Deptula with new American weapons on the way to the Donbass. An analysis today from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis back with us for the hour. President Biden said weeks ago he was thinking about cutting tariffs that Donald Trump put in place on China several years back. And he could be preparing to do so in the next couple of days, according to Bloomberg News. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre talked about it on the way back from Europe last week on Air Force One. Here she is. We're discussing this and working to align uh, these haphazard tariffs and our priorities to safeguard the interests of our workers. We could get a decision again in the coming days, they say, knowing now that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen spoke over the weekend with the vice premier of China. It's getting to be a high level conversation, but unclear what round of tariffs might be cut, what impact as well it would have on prices here in the U.S., if any. So we wanted to talk with somebody who is in the room when these tariffs were conceived and implemented. Cleet Willems was deputy director of the National Economic Council in the Trump White House and served as deputy assistant to the president for international economics. He is now with uh, the firm partner at Aiken Gump Strauss Hauer and Feld and a non-resident senior fellow with the Atlantic Council's Geoeconomics Center. It's a long business card. Cleet, welcome. It's great to have you. 
Uh, you must be chuckling a little bit today as everyone becomes a, an expert suddenly on tariffs, which are incredibly complex. But the fact is, China has not really changed the behavior that led to them in the first place. And people a lot smarter than I am say it wouldn't have much of an impact. So I ask you, is it worth it? Is it worth bringing them down to try to get to inflation? Sure. And I think this is a little bit more of a complicated topic than it's being made out in in the press. And in in many respects, this is being painted as simply a question of, do we want to get rid of tariffs to fight Mm -hmm. inflation? versus do we want to maintain the status quo because China hasn't changed its behavior in the way that we asked? Right. And and look, my, my personal view is that that's really the wrong question. I think what the administration should do is take a step back, look at these tariffs holistically, figure out which ones are putting pressure on China, which ones are hurting China versus which ones are hurting our economy, and look at increasing tariffs on the ones that are that are harmful to China and get rid of the tariffs on the ones that are harmful to us and that could be a more holistic restructuring of this whole list. Yes, but right. But I think what yeah, I, but I, what I think what the administration is looking at in the short term is much more modest than that. Um, and maybe they'll get to where I'm suggesting over time. But I think you know investors in the next couple of days really should only be looking at some sort of minor tariff relief for inflation, and then maybe a longer-term process to do a little bit of what I'm describing. So this is interesting. Uh, the Dow Jones is reporting that you know the the Biden administration might choose to cut tariffs on some seasonal consumer items i mean they they actually seem pretty trivial sunscreen bicycles uh wading pools i think i saw in the bloomberg story uh while hiking not just maintaining but hiking tariffs on things like heavy machinery and transportation equipment are we getting warmer there cleat well, I, look, I think that's more in the line that the administration should go. I will be a little bit surprised, though, if they fully um, articulate that strategy in the next couple of days. Yeah, okay. as, as I understand it, I think you're going to get that short-term tariff relief and then probably the start of a process to look at some of those tariff increases um, because they don't necessarily have the right legal tools right now to just simply increase tariffs. Um, without going through a, a whole process. Then so comes, again, I, I would look at this as a short-term and a long-term action. Right. And hopefully over the long-term, they get in the direction you're discussing. Understood. Uh, then comes the impact. You know, Barclays calls it a drop in the bucket, three-tenths of a percentage point, maybe an in inflation, the Peterson Institute, quarter percentage point, maybe more though, they say if U.S. companies that you know then cut their prices in response, which is a big if. Do those numbers sound real to you? No, I think that's right. And and what some of the reports have suggested is that the order of magnitude of these short-term cuts is around $10 billion. Mm. And and if that's true, you're talking about 10 billion out of 360 odd billion in tariffs. So it's a pretty small percentage. And I I do think in terms of affecting overall CPI inflation indices, it's unlikely to be significant. But I think what the Biden administration is gambling on is that on some very specific products, people are going to go to stores and see an immediate price reduction. And that's a big what if. Um, I I know they're trying to get retailers to make those commitments, but I'm not sure whether they've been successful. And I guess we'll see. You ask Catherine Tai and you get a a different uh, answer on all of this. The U.S. Trade Representative, uh, you know, suggesting there is an argument inside the White House. Our reporting says Catherine Tai wants the tariffs to stay right where they are. She says you take away the tariffs and you lose the leverage. It's kind of the only leverage we have over Beijing. Uh, Have these helped? In, in retrospect, so, as a diplomatic yeah. tool? So, look, I, I think they were helpful as an initial matter. They did help yield the phase one deal. 
which I will continue to defend as at least making some incremental progress yeah. in opening up China's market. But I think at this point in time, they aren't having much effect. Now, I don't I want to be sympathetic to what Ambassador Tai is saying. I, I get the idea that we don't want to just let China off the hook. And that's why I think you do need to look at other products in which we should actually increase tariffs. But at the same time, I would point out, you know, she, she talks about leverage, but there isn't any real ongoing negotiation with China. So so leverage for what? What is it she's, she's seeking leverage for? And so, again, I think if she wants to have active negotiations with China, that's a valid question. But yeah. if not, again, my vote remains. Let's look at these holistically, figure out which ones are hurting us and let's change those. And then maybe be more strategic about where we put the, the pressure on China. You mentioned phase one, uh, the the deal, the trade deal you signed with China in 2020 as, as part of the Trump administration uh, has never been fully realized because China never reached the purchasing goals that it agreed to. Should Joe Biden be taking a harder line on that side of our trade agreement? So I think it's important that the Biden administration do pressure China to fully implement the agreement. But I would actually point out that China's record is a little bit more mixed than they get credit for yeah. because the purchases were only part of this. There were systemic changes, structural changes they agreed to make on intellectual property and on agriculture that they actually did did follow through on. So it's a it's a mixed bag um, rather than a total a total waste. But what have they done on intellectual property? Pressure. What's that? What have they accomplished on intellectual property that that gets your that gets your thumbs up? Well, they've passed the trade secrets law. They have um, made some moves to enforce, uh, to, to create an enforcement right in courts for various types of patent protection. And so, you know, there's some some moves that they've made. Um, have they achieved everything we set out to do? Are they still requiring forced technology transfer? Yeah, yeah. that's 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 a problem. So it's not it's not a complete victory, but I think it's unfair to say that it achieved nothing. And I think the tariffs that we put in place in initially in, in 2018 did contribute to some of those outcomes. Cleet Willems, he was there, and we thank you for your insights on an interesting day here in the world of politics, talking about China tariffs again. And whether or not we're about to get news, we do want to air this out, and we assemble our panel, uh, if only to hear the voices of Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano after a long weekend. Uh, great to have both of you guys back now that your ears have stopped ringing from fireworks all night. Rick, I wonder if you see uh, some action here, something that would be worthwhile, or if we're going to keep nibbling around the edges and, and, and calling this, you know, another another swing at the inflation ball. Well, you know, it's the reporting that I've got, and, and that is the nibbling around the edges strategy, which yeah. is incredible because you would think that this administration would get out of this defensive crouch related to anything Trump and 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 make some changes i mean it's almost like he's got trump in his head renting space you know don't change any of my policies on immigration or on trade with china i mean it's it's really phenomenal even some uh some ghosts of russia putin are in there so i i think this administration needs to make a break and i think again follow a little bit of larry summers uh ad advice you know drop oh. these tariffs reduce inflation and get on with the economic business of our country should this be across the board genie or as we were talking with cleet in a little bit more of a of a scalpel approach and try to figure out what actually might be putting the squeeze on china and keeping it there 
I think Cleet is exactly right. I think it is going to be narrow. And here's why. Because you've got competing camps in the White House. You talked about some of those in the administration, Yellen versus Ty. You've also got competing interest groups that have the president's ear. Mm -hmm. Business groups, the U.S. Chamber, labor, progressives. So he's hearing from a lot of these. Knowing Joe Biden the way he do, we do, he's not going to go big like Rick is talking about. He is going to take a narrow scout, you know, sort of strategic approach. He's going to try to cut tariffs, I bet, in areas that he thinks can impact consumers. I've heard people talk about things like school supplies, clothing, food, things like that, that hopefully impact. But the question, of course, that you raised is, is it really going to be effective? Is it going to hit cost and help people? And that's the big question. I think he's going to take a chance it might, but he won't go big. You know, they could do is pass this uh, China competes legislation, Rick, that's got the chip act. Now, Mitch McConnell is threatening to withdraw Republican support or at least his own support if Democrats pursue a reconciliation package this year. I don't want to walk too far away from this tariff story, but that is one of the most tangible ways we could actually do something with China. And here it is on the rocks again. Are, are you hearing this is going to pass anyway that there's enough support? Well, there's enough support for it. It's just a question of, you know, whether or not you're using the CHIP Act as a leverage item in Congress. But but this is really the point, Joe, is that our, 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 these 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 tariffs aren't actually getting us anything from China. They're not even implementing almost 50 percent of the so phase all. one. So what are we getting from these and what leverage are, is, is Ty talking about? Uh, the leverage we have is on chips and we need to pass that bill. Cut them all, Jeannie, or or take the narrow path you just mentioned? I think he should go big, but my guess is he goes strategically. He'll go narrow because he's facing a lot of competing pressures. We stick with the panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano next as we look back on the president's remarks on America's birthday. This is Sound On, and this is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 
This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We come forth on the 5th, even though we were kept up all night by amateur fireworks. But hey, it's only once a year. I do hope you had a great 4th of July. President Biden seemed to have a good time, a good holiday at the White House. The military families on the lawn, special guests, the cookouts going. But as you read on the terminal, Biden urges unity despite economic worries and deep divisions. Celebrated at the cookout, noting the nation has made great strides, but also... Well, listen to the president. In recent days, there's been reason to think that this country is moving backward, that freedom is being reduced, that rights we assume were protected are no longer. America has taken a few steps backward at the 4th of July picnic. We reassembled the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shansano and Rick Davis. Is that the time to strike that that note here? And, and I know I've asked this before, but I mean, isn't that kind of his version of the Malay speech here, Jeannie? That's exactly what I thought when I listened to it. That and the fact that July 4th has not been kind to Joe Biden in the last couple years. So last year he was declaring independence from COVID. That, of course, Ugh. blew up several months later in all of our faces. Right. And this year, you know, Comments like, you know, he was shocked by the what happened, the horrific shooting in in Chicago. But, you know, the fact is you listen to people on the ground and they're saying, you you know, the president doesn't seem emotionally invested in any of these issues. And he doesn't seem to have the sort of, uh, you know, answer. He doesn't seem to have the sort of drive that people, particularly on the left, want him to. And Mm -hmm. quite frankly, the emotion of somebody like the governor from Illinois who spoke after the shooting. So there's a lot to be to be, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, reconsidered about the way in which this communications team is getting him out there. It's really problematic. Rick, you spent a career uh, helping to prepare elected officials for speeches and, and being in the moment, reading the room, re- realizing he was talking about, you know, referring to the Supreme Court decisions last week. Uh, in recent days, there is reason to think this country is moving backward. Is that something that should that should ever come from a president, never mind on the 4th of July. Well, I think he's echoing every man. This is every man, Joe Biden. And I Uh guess he forgot he's president of the United States and responsible for that movement. Um, You know, pollsters I've talked to say we're in rarefied air as of July 4th uh, holiday. Over 80 percent of the American voting public are saying that the country's on the wrong track. And Joe Biden seems to agree with them. I mean, I I think that he should be the guy showing us the way forward, not, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, reacting to how everyone thinks we're going backward. Well, so how about now we start a fight about the economy with one of the most successful entrepreneurs in American history? That, of course, would be Jeff Bezos. You guys saw the tweets back and forth uh, that, uh, you know, the, the president was going after uh, the the oil and gas companies saying, hey, how come prices haven't come down, gas prices with the, the, the price of crude? And he, he got an answer from Jeff Bezos, who called him out for not knowing very much about the economy. Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre, the press secretary at the White House, was asked about this today coming off the weekend. Here's her answer. As you know, we, we completely disagree with Jeff Bezos. Look, we will continue to call on everyone along that distribution chain, as I just mentioned, from oil companies to refineries to distrib- distributors to, to retailers to pass their low, lower cost 
through to con consumers. That is what is important to, to make sure that we should not make, again, consumers pay first and get that and get that relief last. This after Jeff Bezos responded to a presidential tweet, again, saying in part, it's either straight ahead misdirection or a deep misunderstanding of basic market dynamics. Is that a conversation you want to get into, Jeannie? Absolutely not. And, and, you know, you look at this tweet and the tweet ends with four words. Anybody who has kids know you never say and do it now unless you can force the person to do it. And he can't. He's going after gas stations here. You know, it would be one thing if what Jeff Bezos was saying was, you know, sort of wholly crazy. But this was a tweet that got attacked from sort of all sort of uh, cycles. And you know, the thing is, is that they have to be better about their message. And this tweet displays that they are not. And that's the problem with it, apart from anything Jeff Bezos had to say about it. So he's he's gone after uh, gone at it with Elon Musk now, Jeff Bezos. Uh, speaking of rarefied air, I mean, he's keeping good company, I guess, here, Rick. But is, how does this play politically? I can't wait for the Bill Gates tweet. I mean, like, is yeah. he just picking on the wealthiest people in the world? I mean, is that the new strategy? Uh, honestly, I don't get tweet. it. Um, uh, what, what, what in the world does does uh, Jeff Bezos have to do with gasoline prices? In other words, like, I, I get where he sits in the supply chain and how important he is as a you know distributor of goods all around the world. But do you think there are any voters who are thinking about the November election going? Hey, that guy Bezos is the problem with gas prices. I mean, like right. this is this is something that these guys in the White House have to get real on. Should they, Kareem Jean-Pierre not have replied to that reply? I think why pick a fight with a guy who has a newspaper? He owns the Washington Post. <laughs> he buys ink by the barrel. You don't pick fights with people like that. Uh, he's on to something there. I'm assuming they are prime members, though, Jeannie. Yeah, <laughs> you bet they are. They have to do something over the weekend like the rest of us, exactly. um, you know, but 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 again, you know, I think this is broader than the president. I think it has to do with this communications team at the White House. They've had a really, really tough time and we're hearing it on abortion. We're hearing it on guns from the left. They are frustrated that the president can't get out and say, this is what I'm going to do to address these crises in the country. Rick and Jeannie, stay with us for the hour. Up next, is Russia winning the war in Ukraine? We'll talk about it with retired Air Force General David Deptula on the fastest hour in politics. It's great to have you back with us. We'll check traffic and markets for you on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Russia tightens its grip on the Donbass, leading some military analysts to suggest the tide has turned for Russia and ask whether the U.S. is being realistic about its goals. We'll have the latest on the war and discuss it all with retired Air Force General David Deptula. Turkey is still causing some trouble inside the family when it comes to NATO, admitting Finland and Sweden. This seemed over for a minute when President Biden met with Erdogan now not so much as Turkey renews its threat to block the expansion if these two countries do not extradite people it considers terrorists. Turkey today, though, still joined allies in signing off on plans to get the ball rolling on bringing the two into the alliance. 
just simply maintaining the threat. Here's NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. Today, uh, we will formally sign the protocols of accession. This marks the start of the ratification process. So from here, the parliaments of each of the 30 NATO nations must then ratify the expansion. So this is going to take a minute. This is, could be a few months even before Sweden and Finland are in the fold, as long as Turkey doesn't have a problem. So what shape will Ukraine be in by then? I ask you that as the, the front page of the 4th of July Washington Post with the headline, more military advisors suggesting the U.S. may be too optimistic about the outcome of this war. And we're joined now by a reliable voice, retired Air Force General David Deptula, Dean of the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies. General, it's great to have you back. I'll, I'll start simply by asking you, is Russia winning this war? Well, thanks for having me on, Joe. Um, I'd say no. Uh, Russia's not winning, winning the war yet. Um, it is still a very much contested uh, conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, with the uh, Ukrainians doing their best to hold on. Uh, but as you suggest and as you mentioned, uh, the Russians have an enormous stockpile of weapons and ammunition. Uh, and uh, Ukraine has made it clear that Western nations need to come to their assistance if they're going to be able to hold out against the Russians. I still think that um, the, the issue is... Uh, yet to be decided, and it will take some time. Um, but, you know, we, we've got to stop procrastinating. When I say we, I mean yeah. the collective Western nations that are in support of the principles of Ukraine and send them weapons that matter. Um, so uh, We've been I'll, sending I'll, a lot I'll, more recently, as, as I'm sure you've seen uh, in, in reporting the high-mobility artillery rocket systems, I think uh, I think you call them uh, the the HIMARS systems. We just gave them, uh, or at least approved, whether they're on the ground yet and being used, uh, more advanced, longer range, uh, ground to air missile defense systems. What are we not giving them then, General? Well, well, the point, and thanks for bringing that up. Um, HIMARS uh, uh, is is a excellent medium range rocket system, but we've only given them eight. And that new air defense system you mentioned, yeah. we've only given them two. Now, the, and we just supplied them, you know, with about a week's worth of artillery ammunition. So is it more HIMARS or stuff they don't have yet? No, it's stuff they don't have yet. What Ukraine has stated, and the president has made this very clear, is they need air power. They've stated the need for F-16s and F-15s to replace their Soviet-era Air Force as their legacy Air Force is becoming non-viable. Um, and oh. I can speak to that, but I, I, you know, I don't want to take up too much time. But the obstacles to supplying the capabilities that they actually need that can make a difference to the yeah. Russians um, are really centered in the National Security Council and the current administration policy of appeasing Russia to the extent permitted by current politics. So how do you get them F-16s if we couldn't get a dozen MiGs in there at the beginning of this war? Well, that's part of the the issue. Um, Unfortunately, since Russia invaded Ukraine, Putin's rhetoric has done more to deter action by the United States and NATO to assist Ukraine than the U.S. and NATO has done to deter Putin. And you just mentioned one of the prime examples. Those MiG-29s should have been gotten to Ukraine early on. 
Uh, and then there's been the reluctance to send advanced unmanned aerial vehicles or drones, yeah, the MQ-1s yeah. and MQ-9s to Ukraine. So then, General, so, you understand why people are asking, is it too late here? As as Russia advances to, to finish its job, things are looking pretty red all the way down the, the eastern borderline. Well, that's true. However, uh, the Ukrainians have done a magnificent job in uh, halting and then reversing their initial assault. Yeah. Um, the Russians have been you know, dug in in the eastern portion of Ukraine and been fighting for eight years. So it's not surprising that they've re-strengthened their initiative there. But I think you'll see the Ukrainians do a good job in halting them in that location. It's not too late, uh, but we need to send the Ukrainians weapons that matter, not just something minimal to get by to say that we've done something. If we don't give them fighter jets, can they win the war? No. Because if you don't have air superiority, you're going to lose. Right How now, soon? air superiority is contested, um, but their 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 current air forces have been reduced due to attrition losses uh, in constant use. So, unless Ukraine acquires replacement fighter force of Western origin, yeah. uh, they're going to lose the ability to defend their airspace and support its ground forces. And we both seem to understand each other that that's not likely to happen, right? Well, I don't know. Um, if the if, if the administration doesn't do it, um, then it may take Congress um, to legislate uh, the necessity to provide this equipment necessary to uh, Ukraine survival in the yeah. face of Russian aggression. How, how, based on your experience in Washington, General, in our in our remaining minute here, uh, when do you start hearing the the uproar about uh, war fatigue and concern about rebuilding? our own war chest after we've given them, frankly, quite a lot of stuff so far. You know, I got to tell you, Joe, I think you're already hearing it. Um, And it it is not rebuilding the war chest. It's that we have neglected our war chest for 30 years. We're half the size that we were when we won Desert Storm. We have to buy a lot of stuff. Yeah, if we're half the size then... And we've neglected our own military for years and years. We don't have the numbers of weapons required or the systems or the types to fight the Chinese and yeah. win in a South China Sea scenario. Oh, my God. That's a whole other conversation that I'd love to have you back for, General David Deptula, with some strong opinions about this. We want to play it uh, to the panel next. Rick and Jeannie will be back with us on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. 
Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. General David Deptula just told us Ukraine cannot win the war against Russia without new fighter jets. It sounds like not just a few of them. Based on everything we've heard from the administration, this White House not getting any new fighter jets. Let's reassemble the panel for more on this. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Rick, I think you supported giving them the MiGs, you know, six months ago or five months ago, whatever it was at this point. But uh, there there does seem to be a growing concern that the tide is turning in Russia's favor, that this will not be over anytime soon. And it may actually not end in Ukraine's favor. Do you see this as stark as the general and that if they don't get a, a new air force, basically, they can't win? Look, I, th- I think. Obviously, we're in a very critical time where Russia is starting to make gains uh, after repeated failures on the field of play. But at the end of the day, I think the point you make is we're probably in it for a long haul, that Russia isn't going to sue for peace. Ukraine wants its territory back and wants the ammo and, and equipment to, to do that. And, and it's really up to the policymakers in Washington and Europe to determine whether they're going to give them that. And we can cry over spilt milk. We should have armed Ukraine long before Putin went across the border. But, you know, we were, oh, we don't want to provoke Putin. Well, the lesson we should learn is we should do what's in our interests and in the world's interest for peace and stability and not worry about Vladimir Putin. And by the way, the next lesson to learn is in Taiwan. Are we upgunning Taiwan now? Because the same lesson, oh, we don't want to provoke Xi. Well, what is the lesson we just learned in the Ukraine? Jeannie, does President Biden need to rethink the Jets? Had a pretty hard line uh, on this idea when it first came up, but it's been five months. If he's listening to the general, he does need to rethink this. And, you know, I heard the general say, you know, to your point, they can't win the war without the jets and, and without the air power. And if the administration doesn't do it, we're going to wait for Congress. Well, you know, you might as well How just. How time do you have? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's not going to happen. So the Biden administration is going to have to rethink this. But I think the problem here is, is that they are sort of trapped they don't want to commit to this war in the way they need to so Ukraine can win by the end of the year or, Mm -hmm. you know, in the near future. The United States, the West, doesn't want to commit that much. And so we don't want to commit. We're doing this, you know, in a sort of with a a hands-off approach Mm -hmm. with these big investments. And in this way, we are really playing into Putin's hands because you play the long game on these things. There is going to be a point at which Americans are going to say enough is enough and we will have to 
you know, stop the investment. So the Biden administration has to think long and hard. How does this thing end? And if Russia is going to be beat, an investment is going to have to happen and it's going to have to be big. All the while, Brittany Griner is sending letters to the president. Rick, you probably heard about this by now. The WNBA player uh, who's been uh, in, in jail, has been jailed in Russia now for months. Uh, told Joe Biden in the letter that she is terrified I might be here forever, was the quote, according to the Associated Press. Uh, This was delivered to the White House uh, by a representative. The press secretary today said the president read it in her presence. Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, uh, talked about this recently. Here's what he said about the engagement the administration has. We are actively working to find a resolution to this case and we'll continue to do so uh, without rest until we get Brittany safely home. Rick, how do you solve this right now? And, and what leverage, if any, does the United States have as Russia conducts this proxy war through Ukraine? Yeah, it's tough, right? Because we can't really add sanctions to sanctions because if we could add more sanctions, we would anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you know, the, the solutions that seem to make sense in this kind of a a problem are uh, uh, prisoner swaps, right? You're mm-hmm. not negotiating for a uh, release of Brittany Griner. You're you're just making a trade, and and there mm-hmm. are trades going on every single day on the on the on the front uh, between Ukraine and Russian soldiers and That's prisoners right. of war, and and so you would hope that 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 something like that could be expedited in this process. Uh, as quickly as possible. Every day matters to yeah. somebody like Brittany and, and frankly, this administration's ability to look strong in, in the face of this. It's been getting noisy lately, uh, especially now today with the letter today and yesterday, Jeannie. But we're talking about a two-time Olympic gold medalist uh, could be in Russia in jail for a decade, accused of, uh, of, of carrying cannabis oil, uh, vape cartridges uh, into the country. Are you surprised this hasn't gotten more coverage? How how come this hasn't been discussed more openly by the White House? You know, I, I think early on, the family, we understand, was told, you know, not to make it an issue in the press, that they should try to go through back channels with the administration. They clearly have grown tired of that, and they yeah. have gone public. But let's think about this. There's a 90% conviction rate in Russia. She will be convicted. Yes, right. She will be convicted, and she will be sentenced to 10 years. And her probably best bet, to Rick's point, is some kind of prisoner swap. Now, the administration was able to do this successfully in April in the of the war with Trevor Reed. So they may be able to do it, but she's got a long road if you look at that tra- trajectory because she's going to have to be convicted and then they're going to have to do some kind yeah. of prisoner swap if they are willing to do it. Wait. So, it, it, you know, it is a, a devastating, devastating issue. She's a hostage, not a prisoner, but it's not well, going to change. That's what I wanted to ask. If this, if we're talking about a prisoner swap, Rick, is, is Brittany Griner a hostage? Well, I think you can assume that the Russians are treating her uh, as a prisoner, but I think the way we look at it is she's a hostage. And, 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 and semantics are only important to get something done here, right? Uh, it's if, if, if she's a prisoner by Russian standards and we can do a prisoner swap, then, then for the purposes of getting her out of there, yeah. you know, that, that's the decision. But What if she actually carries this stuff with her? It, it almost is irrelevant at this stage, right? I mean, like anybody who we have cooling their heels, you know, from Russia in our prison system or 
people who we have um, uh, detained around the world. Yeah. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna spend the time thinking guilt or innocence if we want to be able to get her out of the prison. Would that happen Otherwise, if it was one of us? Uh, I would hope so. <laughs> if it I were, mean, I'm asking genuinely. If this, my yeah. God, we've got a two time gold medal medal winner, and and it's taking months for this to get on the front page, Jeannie. Yeah, you know, I think if it was you or Rick, you'd be out. I think I may be there, like Brittany <laughs> okay, Griner. But um, you know, yeah, I do you think we people. should discuss. Yeah, <laughs> I do think we should di- we should call her a hostage. You know, and I think the frustration with many of these families, whether they're imprisoned or hostages, the United States has a policy of not negotiating right. with terrorists and not negotiating for hostage release, and yet we will do it with Russia. And that is a point of real frustration. Goes well beyond the Biden administration to U.S. policy more broadly for many many decades which has long been questioned well the administration says she has been wrongfully detained you'll know something's going on if they refer to her as a hostage uh, certainly or a political prisoner uh this is the new york times writes over the weekend that it's time to or at least some orchestras are rethinking the use of the 1812 overture of course a, a right as they say of july 4th celebrations uh, of course this is tchaikovsky's overture written as a commemoration of Russia's defeat of Napoleon's army. So how exactly it became associated with the 4th of July has a lot of people wondering. You know what we're talking about, right? Let's let's do it right here from the Esplanade. Yes, the great moment every year. The Boston Pops made this what it is today. And the great David Mugar, who suggested then to Arthur Fiedler, the conductor, that if you want to get people to turn out for this thing, Play the 1812, and I'll bring in a bunch of howitzer cannons. We'll play church bells. We'll have the full smash, as Fiedler said, so all hell could break loose. And indeed, this has become copied all over, duplicated, a nicer word all over the country every year on the 4th of July. It wouldn't be America's birthday without it until Vladimir Putin invades Ukraine. And some orchestras actually decided to drop it from the routine on this 4th of July. Boston, as you saw last night in Bloomberg's coverage, was not one of them. But many ensembles concerned about the overture's history as a celebration of the Russian military reconsidered the work because of the war in Ukraine. Have we lost it here, Rick? Yeah, wokeness at a new level. I mean, you know, now we're blaming Tchaikovsky on Putin or Putin (laughs) on Tchaikovsky or whatever. I mean, I'm losing track. You know, when did we ban Wagner because he was around the time of the Nazis? I mean, (laughs) enough of this. I have to admit, it made me think of the Smirnoff story, Uh, Jeannie. Everybody started the boycott Smirnoff vodka after the invasion, not realizing that it's actually not made in Russia. Yeah, that's right. And Joe, I hope you weren't amongst them. I hope you kept with your Smirnoff. Absolutely. (laughs) The bar's fully stocked. (laughs) And, you know, I have to say, I am a trombone player. You don't know this about me, probably, but I am an old, very bad trombone player. And I have played the Overture of 1812, so I just (laughs) cannot go along with any boycott. I love 1812. It must be played. Fiedler was right, and I was so glad that the Boston Pops did it. Yeah, well, I guess I was too. And boy, it was just incredible to watch it on Bloomberg. Everybody had, gosh, I, there have been uh, years I've been lucky enough to be there. It looked great. Everyone was back for the first time since COVID. And then I read that the 1812 is a problem. Uh, the latest, as 
The paper of record in New York says the latest example of the difficult questions facing cultural institutions since the war began. This one uh, may be a tune too far. It's great to be back with everybody. Rick and Jeannie, of course, our signature panel here on Bloomberg Sound On. And we'll do it all over again tomorrow here on the fastest hour in politics. If you showed up late, subscribe to the podcast. Be part of this movement wherever you get your podcasts. Back here tomorrow on Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew in the nation's capital. And this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.